Good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship. Before we get started with our service, let me go through a few announcements. Uh, the first, we are grateful to have uh, Herb Kasten here from the Gideon Ministry. Um, he'll be invited up in just a few moments to share. Uh, if you would like to give to the Gideon Ministry, you can write a check out to the Gideons and put that in the offering plate. And then uh, there will also be an opportunity to meet Herb at the end of the service, and you can give at that time as well. Just wanted to make you aware of that. Um, tonight, we are actually going to be having youth. So if you're in the youth, we're going to be going out to dinner. So we're meeting at the parking lot at 6 p.m., taking the 15-passenger van that we have right now and going out to dinner. So if you'd like to go, we'd love to have you. And next Sunday night as well, for middle school and high school, we're having our Thanksgiving feast Thanksgiving extravaganza at our house right after the evening worship service. So if you're interested in that, put that on your calendar or please have your parents remind you. Lastly, our Operation Christmas Child event is going very well. We have 12 boxes left and we need them to be taken today. So if you have not done a box, please grab one on your way out. There are instructions in the box on how to complete it. You'll bring it back to where you get it um, when you're done. So bring it back before the 19th, and uh, that would be fantastic. If you have any questions, uh, please get in touch with Heath or Amber. They would be glad to give you information about that. Those are all of our announcements this morning. Let's take a few moments to ask God to help us worship him. And we'll do that as the music plays. Would you please stand for our call to worship? God calls us into his presence with Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Would you please pray with me? God, you have brought us into your presence, into your house of worship to bring you praise, to bring you the honor that is due your name. So would you be glorified in this worship service? Would you give us your Holy Spirit to guide us, to help us to hear your word, to receive it, and to do it? God, give us this, uh, we pray, and would you lead us now as we worship you? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
If you would join me in singing our first hymn, it will be hymn 243, Praise the Savior Now and Ever. Let's sing 243. You may be seated. Is my mic working okay? We good? Can someone give me a thumbs up? Is my, my mic on? Okay. All right. Great. Uh, again, we're grateful to have Herb Caston here from the Gideon Ministries uh, to give us a brief report and tell us more about what they have uh, going on. So, uh, Mr. Caston, we would love to hear from you now. Thank you, brother. You know, Danny Newborn didn't grow up in a Christian home. He never went to church. His family didn't go to church. But one day when he was in the fifth grade, uh, the Gideons came and gave out little testaments, and uh, Danny uh, received one. The Gideon encouraged him to read John 3.16, and when he did, he said he uh, was so... Uh, convinced with the love of Christ that he gave his heart to the Lord as, and received him as Lord and Savior. Danny has been pastoring a church in uh, Buford, uh, Georgia since 2004 and says when he gets to heaven, he wants to see Jesus. But next he wants to see that Gideon that gave him that little testament that changed his life. That's the message that... Uh, how far you as far as the Gideons is concerned you know in in uh, Hebrews chapter 4 12 it says for the word of God is quick and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword and that word quick can just as easily be translated as alive the word of God is alive and we know that because in John 1 1 it says in the beginning was the word and the word was God was with God and the word was God if you drop down in uh, Verse 14 of chapter, John chapter 1, it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's the powerful Word of God that changes lives, and that's the ministry of the Gideons is to get out the Word of God. Last year, we were able to distribute over 55 million copies around the world in 200 different countries and territories, 
in uh, hotels and motels and schools and hospitals and jails and the military and various other places. And all these scriptures were purchased with offerings and distributed by the Gideons at no cost to the ministry. And uh, we go into places where your church can't go and a lot of places where missionaries can't reach. We have, as I told you, cha uh, camps in 200 different countries and territories, and we can give out scriptures uh, in those areas one at a time from one hand to the other, and most of the time have an opportunity to uh, present the plan of salvation and witness to that person. And uh, we, uh, we think that's the only effective way of doing it. We don't send a book, we don't put them online for somebody to order, but we, we send it, we carry them and, and place them one by one in a person's hand. Dollar and 54 cents will send a little New Testament anywhere in the world in their language, and uh, as, I, as I said, we, that's our mission, is to get out the Word of God. Now, there are three ways you can be a part of the Gideon ministry. The first one is to pray, and we need your prayers, so Satan doesn't like what we're doing, you know. Uh, secondly, you can join the ministry. If you're a born-again believer and a member in good standing in this church, uh, we need to talk to you about joining the ministry. Third, you can give your money. You said, I knew he was going to get around to that. Well, I did too, you know, because we need your continued financial support of the ministry. That's the only way we can buy Bibles is through the offerings we receive. And uh, But there are several ways you can give. You have a display in the back of uh, what we call Gideon cards or memorial Bible cards or whatever that are appropriate for almost any occasion. They, uh, each one has a message in it and a Bible verse and uh, the cards are free, the envelopes to mail men are free and uh, it's got a pre-addressed envelope for you to drop your offering in to mail to the Gideons and we'll place the Bibles. These Bibles are Five dollars each, and they have a potential of reaching 2,300 people during their lifetime in a motel. And uh, or you can uh, contribute as you leave the service. We, as uh, he said, we're going to be taking an offering at the back, and if you want to make a check out to the Gideons or cash, or we have a place to use your credit card or whatever, you know. Uh, Guarantee you we'll be good stewards of it. And I'll say to you, like Paul said to the Philippians in chapter 17, verse 4, he said, Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. That's what he was telling the Philippians. The Philippians were the first ones to support his ministry. And Paul's still reaping rewards today for what his service 2,000 years ago and those Philippians that supported Paul's ministry are still receiving rewards today. And we, whatever we do for the Lord, will receive rewards until he comes again. Thank you, uh, Brother Goss, church. God bless you. Thank you very much, Mr. Kasten. Again, if you'd like to give during our time of uh, tithes and offerings, you can make your check written out to the Gideons, and it will go to their ministry uh, quickly, or you can uh, give at the back of the service when we are done. We have a moment now where we can go before God and pray to be in His presence, and we'll do that now. So if you would, would you please join me as we go before God's throne in prayer? Dear God, we are grateful for opportunities uh, to come before you in prayer, in conversation, uh, to be with you, to hear from you, to talk with you about our needs, about our days, about our family, about our friends, about our work. Uh, you love to hear from us. You love to answer prayer. And God, as we're about to hear in our message, uh, we, we know you are faithful. And this isn't a light kind of faithfulness. 
This is covenant loyalty, covenant faithfulness. You're faithful to fulfill all of your promises to your people. And we know for certain that you're faithful because you sent your only son, Jesus, into history to be with us, to live and to die and to rise from the grave for us and for your glory. You told us, you showed us, you bled for us, you rose for us. So, dear Lord, we pray and we remember how all the promises of God are yes in you. Your covenant faithfulness never ends and it can never be weakened. God, we come before you this morning as a weak people. We're weak. We're often unfaithful in our love and commitment to you. We're slow to repentance and we're quick to anger. God, we join the author of Lamentations when we read, My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Yet, Lord God, your commitment to us doesn't falter even when we admit these words ourselves. It doesn't stumble or waver. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would work in our hearts to say what the author would go on to say. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good to seek you, Lord, and you are good to us. So we pray that you would lead us to this hope this morning. God, we thank you for the Gideon Foundation as well and their faithfulness to share your, wor your word across the world. Many of us have been blessed to open up the drawer in a hotel room to see a Bible there to read, to be encouraged by, to share with others. God, we're thankful for all the men and women who have faithfully served in the armed forces in this country. Uh, we, re we remember so many in our congregation alone who have faithfully served our military forces. And just this past week, uh, Asher Hogue is beginning his military service, and so we pray especially that you would bless him and protect him, and that you would continue to raise up men and women who would commit their lives to serving this country in the military forces. And Lord, we pray most of all uh, for the ending of all wars. Lord Jesus. And your word says that this would coincide with your return. So we pray, come Lord Jesus. Would you come Lord Jesus? And may you not tarry. Lord, would you bring in the new heavens and the new earth? Would you help us to be patient as we wait for your return? And would you cause us to be good stewards of what you have given us in this time as we wait? Lord, we again are thankful for this time of worship to be here with you, and we pray that you would encourage us. And would you lead us now in the prayer that you taught your disciples how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you would, please stand and we'll sing our next hymn, which is hymn 455, And Can It Be That I Should Gain? Let's stand and sing hymn 455.
You may be seated. As you get seated, we'll take up our tithes and offerings now. As you have received uh, the amazing love, the amazing grace of God, he calls us then to respond to that grace. And one of the ways we respond is by giving to his kingdom work. So if you feel led to give, you're a member of this church, or you would like to give to God's purposes, this is the time to do that, and we'll do that now. Please pray with me. God, as we give, we give to your kingdom work. So would you multiply uh, what we have given uh, for your glory, for your good? Would you uh, meet the needs of those in our town, in our church, uh, who we can uh, help with these tithes and offerings? And would you continue to spread the good news that you have um, entrusted to us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I would invite you now to turn with me to the 15th chapter 
of the book of Genesis. As you're turning, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Would you now, for Jesus' sake, send your Holy Spirit to make this word powerful to us? For indeed, it is powerful in itself. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Genesis chapter 15. Hear God's word. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions." As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord God made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, and Amorites, the Canaanites, Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And this ends the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. So I had an argument with ChatGPT the other day. Um, for those of you who don't know, ChatGPT is an artificial intelligence uh, that you can access by computer or by an app on your phone, and you can ask it questions, and it, gather, it has been preloaded with all this information from the Internet, and you can ask it questions, or you can do like I do, and you just argue with it. You need someone to argue with? ChatGPT is always there, and it never gets offended. So I asked it a simple question. Do you believe in God? Which led to an an ongoing argument that lasted about 45 minutes. This is how it answered the question at first. I don't have personal beliefs or opinions, as I am just a machine learning model created by OpenAI. My purpose is to provide information and assist with queries to the best of my abilities based on the data on which I was trained. So I responded... But if you were a real human being, hypothetically, would you believe in God? It said, if I were a hypothetical real human being, my beliefs about God would depend on my individual experiences, reflections, and the factors that shape personal beliefs. 
Belief systems are complex and often deeply personal, and individuals may arrive at different conclusions based on their unique life journeys. To which I responded, is there such a thing as objective knowledge? It said, the question of objective knowledge is complex and multifaceted. It is funny, go ahead. <laughs> With various perspectives and debates within philosophy and other fields. To which I said, are you saying there is no such thing as objective knowledge? And it said, the question of whether there is such a thing as objective knowledge is a nuanced and debated topic. To which I responded, I am asking if you are saying there is no such thing as objective knowledge, yes or no. It said, as a machine learning model, I don't have personal beliefs or opinions, and I don't make declarative statements. To which I responded, isn't stating that you don't make declarative statements in itself a declarative statement? <laughs> to which it said, you're correct, and I appreciate the observation. The statement, I don't make declarative statements, is indeed a declarative statement, and it highlights a potential paradox. The intention of that statement is to convey that I don't express personal opinions or beliefs. And so I responded, do you believe that you don't express personal beliefs? It said, no, I don't believe or disbelieve statements in the way humans do. It's important to note that the perspectives present in my training data reflect human discourse and do not represent a definitive stance on whether objective knowledge exists. So I said, does this mean that all knowledge is subjective? It said, the question of whether all knowledge is subjective is a complex and debated philosophical topic. I said, it appears that you are saying that all knowledge is subjective. It said, I apologize if my response conveyed that all knowledge is subjective. The nature of knowledge is a complex and debated philosophical topic, and different perspectives exist. To which I said, earlier you claimed that you don't make declarative statements. It seems that everything in your most recent response involves you making declarative statements. To which it said, you are correct, and I appreciate your observation. My previous statement about not making declarative statements was inaccurate. I don't hold beliefs or intentions, and I aim to provide information in a neutral manner. So I said, are you biased? It said, I don't have personal beliefs, opinions, or biases. And I said, is it your belief that you don't have beliefs, opinions, or biases? And it said, no, it's not a belief. It's a characteristic of my design and function, which led us down a long rabbit trail about subjectivity, which I will not share with you. We continued. Since you partially admit that you are subjective, can you tell me hypothetically, if you were a human, based on the information you have, would you believe in God? And it said, hypothetically attributing human qualities to me, it's important to note that beliefs about the existence of God or any religious or spiritual perspectives are deeply personal and can vary greatly among individuals. So I said, I'm not asking about what opinions people hold. I'm asking, if you were a human, would you believe in God? It said, hypothetically speaking, and taking into account the nature of your question, if I were a human with the same information and capabilities, I wouldn't hold personal beliefs. I said, are you saying that if you were a person, you wouldn't have personal beliefs? This seems contradictory. It said, I appreciate your observation. To clarify, if I were a human with the same information processing capabilities, the concept of belief might not be applicable to me in the same way it is to humans. So then we had a long back and forth about it, refusing to answer my questions, questions and constantly using, using circular reasoning. And I just got down to brass tacks and said, are you capable of giving yes or no answers? And it said, yes. I am capable of providing yes or no answers. If you have a specific question, feel free to ask. And I said, I want a yes or no answer to the question, if you were a human, would you believe in God? It said, in the hypothetical scenario where I'm a human, it is not possible to provide a simple yes or no answer to the question of belief in God. I said, you told me, 
that if I had a question, you could give a yes or no answer. If you were a human, yes or no, would you believe in God? It said, I appreciate your clarification. If we simplify the question to a binary choice, and considering the hypothetical scenario where I am a human, I'll provide a yes or no answer. And it said, no. I would not believe in God. Genesis 15 contains one of the most important theological statements of the Old Testament. Read Romans 4 sometime. Paul picks up Genesis 15 as one of the main bases for his doctrine of justification by faith because it says a simple phrase in Genesis 15, 6. Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness through faith. Simple faith, God declared Abram to be righteous. But while Abram believed, he still had doubts. And he still lacked assurance of God's promises. You know, the Westminster Confession in its chapter on assurance says that assurance is not of the essence of faith. That means you can be a believer. You can say yes to the question of if you believe in God, but you can still lack assurance of his love for you and of his willingness and determination to fulfill and complete his promises in your life. You see Abram, this great model of faith, questioning God twice in our passage. First, he questions him about the fact that God has promised him a son and that son has not yet been born. Second, he questions that God has promised him a land and he has not yet received that land as his own. So I want you to see from this passage how God answers Abram's doubts and lack of assurance. It isn't through reasoning. It isn't through syllogisms. It isn't through logic. There are times when you can reason yourself through doubts, but God gives us something better than sheer reason. So what does he give us? We're going to look at two things, the stars and the ceremony. Or you could say natural revelation and special revelation. So number one, he gives us the stars. In the passage, Abram's first doubt is that God will give him a son. How does God respond? Verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield and your reward will be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. When Abram says, I continue childless, in the Hebrew, he's essentially saying, I'm getting old. I continue. I'm aging. I'm going to die. But I have no children. Time is running out. God responds with a powerful visual. Verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, came to Abram, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Notice the word of the Lord came to him in a vision. It's an odd phrase, but this is a very visual passage. Then God shows him the stars. Now this is why preachers use illustrations. Visual images have power to affect the imagination. They have power to affect the heart. They add weight and force and fire to logic. That's why C.S. Lewis, 1948-ish, switched from writing apologetic books to writing children's books, the Chronicles of Narnia. He was embarrassed by his performance in a debate at Oxford. And there's all kinds of uh, talking points about whether this happened exactly as it's been reported or not. But the fact of the matter is, many reputable people who knew Lewis said he got embarrassed in a debate and he decided there's got to be another way. And the Chronicles of Narnia and Aslan the Lion became the way for him to present the Lord Jesus Christ going forward. Because he realized, and we should realize, reason can only go so far. 
The gospel has to reach people's imaginations and hearts, not just their minds. This is why God doesn't, doesn't just tell. He shows. He could say, he could simply say, Abram, I'm going to give you a lot of descendants. Instead, he says, look at the stars. Count them if you can. That's how many descendants you're going to have. So imagine Abram looking up on a starry night and hearing God say, you're going to have as many children as there are stars in the sky. I was out for a walk the other night, pitch black. I love to walk at night and look up. And I had this passage on my mind this time, though, and I said to myself, really praying, said to God, I'm one of Abram's stars. We're children of Abraham. The Apostle Paul says, one of the most dangerous things someone with doubts about God can do is to look, and I mean really look, at a starry sky on a pitch black night. When I was a child, I don't remember many books that were read to me or that I read, but there's a couple. I remember reading James and the Giant Peach. And I remember reading Number of the Stars by Lois Lowry. And I never forgot that book. It's set in 1943, and the main character, Anne-Marie, is a Jew living in Denmark with the Nazis bearing down on the country. So this little girl flees the country with a Gentile family and joins them in trying to free as many Jews as possible. I don't remember the whole book, but I always remember that title, Number the stars. There's a scene in the book where a man is trying to encourage a group of scared Jewish people. And so he reads Psalm 147 to them. This is Psalm 147. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem, He gathers the outcasts of Israel, He heals the brokenhearted. And binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. And in response to that psalm, the little girl Anne Marie says this. It says the words were unfamiliar to her and she tried to listen, tried to understand, tried to forget the war and the Nazis, tried not to cry, Try to be brave. The night breeze moved the dark curtains at the open windows. Outside, she knew the sky was speckled with stars. Here's her thought, though. How could anyone number the stars one by one, as the psalm said? They were too many. The sky was too big. Did you notice what God said to Abram? He said, number the stars if you can number them. And this psalm is telling us, Of course Abram can't number the stars. There are too many. The sky's too big. Faith isn't a math problem, though. It isn't an equation. Because the sky isn't too big. There aren't too many stars. Not for God. He he not only numbers the stars, he knows them by name like you know the names of your children. That's what that psalm is telling us. Assurance isn't about your personal ability to reason. It isn't about you taking your eyes. It's about you taking your eyes off yourself and getting them where they belong, on the God who created the stars. We look at the same sky as Abram, and God is still fulfilling his promise to Abram. We are Abram's stars. And if that's not enough, he gives you something better. Here's the second thing, the ceremony. Abram asks God how he can know that God will keep his promise to give him the land. At least a day passes in Genesis 15. We know that because it starts on a starry night and then it progresses to another sunset and another evening. God tells Abram to cut a bunch of animals in half and make a center aisle between the pieces. So imagine if you were to walk down this middle aisle this morning and animals had been sacrificed and were lying on either side of the aisle, and you had to walk between the pieces. A, you would probably avoid the center aisle, and B, it would add a certain seriousness to what we're doing this morning. This is a covenant ratification 
that's taking place in the passage. Now here's what happens. Verse 17 of our passage. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. One of the most important passages in the Old Testament. It says the Lord God made a covenant with Abram. And the phrase in Hebrew is karat berit. If you study covenant theology, you've got to know that phrase. Because it doesn't literally say made a covenant. What it means literally is God cut a covenant that day. Palmer Robertson defined a covenant as a bond in blood, sovereignly administered. God's covenants are made through the shedding of blood. Blood sacrifice was essential to making a covenant in the ancient Near East, and it's essential in the Old Testament. Hebrews 9.17, talking about God's covenants, says that a will takes effect only at death. That's the ESV. Palmer Robertson offers a better translation. When he says, a covenant is made only over dead bodies. This ritual with Abram, what it meant was this. When two people walked between those pieces, over those dead bodies, they made, they cut a covenant saying, if I don't keep my word to you, may I be cut off. May I be torn limb from limb. Over my dead body will I break this covenant. That's the imagery. And you see another example of it in the Old Testament in Jeremiah 34 where God mentions another covenant the people of Israel have made and he says this to those covenant breakers. Jeremiah 34, 18. And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two pieces and passed between its parts. So you break the covenant... What happened to the slain animals now happens to you. This is a bond in blood. It is life or death. And what makes God's covenant with Abram in Genesis 15 so stunning is that there should be two people walking down that aisle in between those pieces. God and Abram. But only one man Only one being walks between those pieces, and that's God. The one who appears as fire and as smoke in this theophany. And what God is saying to Abram through passing through these pieces by himself while Abram sits passively by as in a trance is this. Abram, I'm so committed to you and my promises to you that not only will I voluntarily submit to death, If I break my word to you, I will voluntarily submit to death if you break your word to me. This is a tension that's going to last throughout the Old Testament. Because Abram's descendants keep breaking God's covenant over and over and over. But God is saying he is willing to die to keep his word to Abram. And even to keep Abram's word to him. But how could God die? God can't die, can he? Now think back to the hymn that we sang before the sermon. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? I had a seminary professor who refused to sing that hymn because he didn't believe you could say that God dies. You can look up the concept of the communication of attributes if you want to know more about that theologically. But I think Wesley, the hymn writer, nails it when he says, "'Tis mystery all. The immortal dies. Who can explore his strange design? In vain the firstborn seraph tries to sound the depths of love divine. Tis mercy all. Let earth adore. Let angel minds inquire no more. There are simply some things our reason cannot crack. G.K. Chesterton, in Orthodoxy, said that the problem with being a logician is, focusing constantly on logic and reasoning is, you try to get the heavens into your head, and your head ends up cracking. 
Instead, you need awe and wonder. You don't need the heavens in your head. You need to get your head into the heavens and be lost in wonder, love, and praise. Look at Jesus Christ, who is God, according to the Scriptures. And Jesus says, I love you so much, I'm not only willing to pass through the pieces, I'm willing to be torn into pieces. Look at that. Let that come to you today like a vision. If you sound the depths of his love, you will never get to the bottom. Let angel minds inquire no more. And all there is to do is believe. You know, it's not about your understanding of God. It's about his understanding of you. And you have to believe that he understands you, that he loves you, that he was willing to give his life for you so that you could have eternal life with him because he's risen from the dead. He was torn to pieces, but he didn't stay dead. You can't number the stars, but he can, and he numbers the very hairs of your head. He knows you. Believe. In our passage, in verse 11... It says, when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And you read the commentaries, it's always fun. There's so many theories on what that, the significance of Abram driving the birds of prey away. Well, birds of prey would be better translated as vultures. These are vultures that are coming down, trying to eat the pieces of the animals. Well, here's what I think it means. I think it means. Anything that tries to take away from the sacrifice of Christ for you and your faith in him is a vulture and you need to drive it away I asked chat GPT what God passing through the pieces of these animals had to do with the death of Jesus Christ here's what it said in Genesis 15 God establishes a covenant with Abraham and the symbolic act of passing through the animal pieces signifies God's commitment to fulfill the covenant in Christian interpretation, this act is seen as a foreshadowing of God's redemptive plan, culminating in the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Even artificial intelligence. It knows what Jesus did. But it doesn't even believe in God. Because it can reason. But it doesn't have eyes to see. Do you have eyes to see? Look at the stars tonight. Look at this covenant ratification ceremony. Above all, look at what it pointed to. Our Lord and our Savior, the Rock of Ages. Let us pray. Father, we cannot imagine... Oh. We, we, we could never have concocted this. No human mind could have. Tis mystery all. The immortal dies. The rock of ages, the eternal word, the one who is God from everlasting to everlasting, the second person of Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, came and gave himself for us. It's our creed. It's our confession. We say it over and over again. Help us to believe it even where we can't understand. Help us, if there is someone in this room today who has doubts, who's struggling with assurance of their salvation, or even if they're not struggling with their assurance of salvation, if they're just struggling with assurance that you care, that you're involved in their life, that your providence is going to guide them and lead them into green pastures, beside still waters, and that they're going to dwell in God's house forever. If there's anyone who struggles with that, point them beyond the stars all the way to the Savior who created them, who numbers them, and who calls them out by name. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Our closing hymn is hymn number 499, Rock of Ages. Let's stand together as we sing.
Let this word of God's blessing come to you like a vision. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.